you this question, those of you guys that are parents in the room, uh, how many of you experienced the first child, like, overly protective syndrome with your first, where it was like, okay, it's kind of a mixed bag, but so with, there's this first child syndrome that we have, where when we have our first, we're very, a little anal, right? Um, And I know my wife and I, when we had Destiny, we were in the hospital, and the lady was teaching us, like, how to do the car seat, you know, and, like, put the baby in it and stuff. And I was just thinking, wait, we're going to take it home? <laughs> Already? What? How, that, I mean, we've only been here for, like, a day. Like, I thought, do we get to take a nurse with us? I mean, like, I have to, now? Already? I mean, like, it was so fast. I was like, are you sure that you entrust this child to us? <laughs> But I remember we're getting ready, and we put Destiny in the car seat, and we're getting all buckled in, and we have the little head rest thing that we're trying to put around. Okay, now make sure her head is straight. Okay, we've got to make sure it's tucked in. Okay, now she looks cold. Let's get a blanket on her. Oh, make, but don't cover her up. She's got to breathe. We want to suffocate her. Okay, are she breathing? Is she breathing? Is she breathing? That was, that was the thing we were always asking. Is she breathing? Is she breathing? <laughs> Fill her nostrils. Is she breathing? Okay. Um, I can't see because there's too many blankets. So... We're getting, we're getting her all together, and then we go to the car, and I'm, like, putting in the little base, you know, for the car seat, and I'm, like, tightening it, very tight, it's not moving, shoving it like this, okay, it's good. So put the car seat in, I'm like, okay, Katie, you sit in the back with the baby, okay, in case she needs you and you are going to do something while we're driving, but um, you make sure she's breathing. Is she breathing? Okay. Um, you sit in the back. I'll drive. All right. So I get in the car, and I'm driving down a road that I've driven down a million times, right, prior to this. But I'm like this. And, like, and there was like a bump in the road, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what are these road people doing? I mean, don't they know that there's babies in cars? Like, what? My goodness. Okay. Is she okay? Is she okay? You know, and like, we don't want to wake her up, she's asleep. And so every little bump, every pothole, I'm like getting angrier and angrier at the people who work on the roads and just, it's ridiculous. But it's because I love my kid, right? And so, and then you have your second, you're not like that at all. <laughs> and then your third, and then after that, it's just like, whatever. You know what I mean? You're tossing them around and you know, and you're like, you know, like, they, like the nurses do in the hospital. You know, they, they just like grab them by their foot and they're like, Oh, let's uh, put the ink in here. Okay, here you go. Oh, hey, oh, oh, hey. You know? But like, that's how they treat babies. They're so malleable. Um, and then, you know, as you have more, that's kind of how you treat them too. But I, I don't toss my babies, okay? I'll just say, I, well, actually, I do throw them in the air. But anyways, um, we love our kids. <laughs> and we're protective of our kids. And as, as they get older, uh, we continue to have that heart. We want to keep them safe, Right? And it's a natural desire of a parent. It's something that God put in us. Is we want our kids to be safe, secure. We don't want them to get hurt. When our kids hurt, we hurt. 
you know, unless it was their fault because they punched their other kid in the face, and then, you know, then you're just kind of like, get over it, you know. But, um, but we don't want their heart to be broken. Um, when they feel, when they get rejected, we feel that as parents. We want to keep our kids safe. And if we feel that about our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to keep his kids safe? And he wants to protect us and guard us because there is an enemy out there. The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we literally have an enemy who is trying to destroy our lives, trying to absolutely wreak havoc on us. And God knows this. And so he gives us everything we need. He equips us to be able to defend against the onslaught of the enemy, our culture, the world, the fallen world that we live in, the social undercurrent of compromise that's trying to pull us away from him. God gives us everything we need to remain safe and secure and to be able to stand firm against everything the enemy throws at us, right? And in Ephesians, in the last part of Ephesians, Paul gives this picture. He paints this picture of God equipping us with the armor of God and everything we need to stand firm and to be stable and to not be moved by everything that the enemy throws at us. And so the title of my message this morning is Stand Firm. Stand Firm. Firm. So we're continuing in our series through Ephesians. So we're, Paul's closing out the letter to the Ephesians and to the Ephesian church with this picture of spiritual warfare or uh, the armor of God. But if you look at the whole book, he's been talking about our position in Christ, right? He's been talking about who we are, that we are children of God, that we are adopted into the family, that we're blessed. That we, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that we have unity that is only brought about by Jesus himself. And so he's painting this picture of what Christ has purchased for us through the cross and through his sacrifice, through his perfect love, everything that he's equipped us with as a good father, that he's given us everything that we need, that he's positioned us in himself. He's seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Right? And so he's, he's painting this picture, and then he's saying, again, this is what Christ has purchased for you, and then this is who you are. He's saying you were, like we said, you once were darkness. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And so he's painted that picture of what Christ has purchased for us, of the community that we have in the body of Christ that helps us foster maturity, that keeps us protected as well, that guards our hearts. We guard each other right? And then he talks about our behavior in relationships. Last week, we talked about that in marriage and our behavior with one another, our character, having godly character. What does it look like to live as? All of this, and then he closes it out in chapter six saying, now stand on that truth. Stand firm on that truth of who you are, what Christ has died for you to have, Stand firm on that. Live as a child of light, but hold firm to the truth because the enemy's coming. And the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion seeking and prowling, looking around for who he's going to devour. 
And so Paul's closing out this letter telling us how we stand firm, how we become immovable and stable on what Christ has already purchased for us, how to fight the good fight of faith, right? The only person that can keep us from living in the fullness of God is ourselves because the enemy has been stripped of his power, right? Jesus has already won. He's defeated the enemy. The only one that can keep us from experiencing the fullness of God is us. Christ won the battle. We are now light in the Lord, right? We, we've, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. He's declared us righteous. We're blameless before God in love, and we've been adopted into his family. So he won. That's it. He, he won the battle for us, right? We have that, but the struggle is maintaining the belief in that truth. Maintaining the belief. Our spirits are new. We've been made new because of Christ, and because of our faith in him, but our minds are being renewed. Our minds are being renewed. We're changing the way we think. Repentance, right? Change the way you think, right? And so our minds are being renewed. Uh, Ephesians talks about having a new attitude in your mind, putting on the new man, putting off the old man, having a new way of thinking. And so our spirits are made new. We are a new person, but our mind has to be trained to think the way Jesus thinks. We have to line up what we are thinking with what God is saying. That's the struggle, lining up what we're thinking with what God is saying. That's the alignment, and that's the battle, is that those things remain firm, that we can't be moved off our spot, right, from the enemy. So he starts in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that. Be strong in who? The Lord. Does it say be strong in yourself? No. It says be strong in him and in his mighty power. Right? We don't have the power. And there is, a, there is strength when we recognize our own brokenness and dependence that we have on Jesus and the spirit of God in us. We lean into that and then God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So he says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Praise God for that. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So this imagery, again, is this standing firm. It's almost a defensive position. It's like um, the jousting, like the inflatable jousting things you've seen. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like standing on a platform. It's like this. You're standing on like this circle and you have one of those like padded poles and there's someone else standing on another circle and you're like jousting. And do you remember the gladiator show? Like they used to be really popular. I loved that show. That was so cool. Uh, they don't have it anymore. Well, maybe they do, but, but you would, you would do the gladiator thing and kids loved that. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I would always get the jousting thing because that's the thing that they all loved. And they, you put the helmet on and stuff, but someone would always get hurt. Anyways. Um, but it's like that, right? So Christ won the ground that we're standing on. So we don't have to take the hill. He's taken the hill. He took it on Calvary, Golgotha. He took the hill and he won and he said, it is finished. So he stripped the enemy publicly of his power because the enemy's power was accusation, condemnation, 
and lies. And Jesus came to testify to the truth and to bring light and to save us and set us free. And then his cry on the cross was forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Right? So he won. He took the hill. So now we're just standing firm on the hill that he took. He planted the flag. It's his. He's already purchased all this for us. We're just standing firm in that spot. But the devil's trying to move us off our spot. That's what he's trying to do. So, so how does he come at us? Well, let's, let's look at here. Let's look at this. Did I say looky here? Let's look at here. All right. I am from Texas. So it comes out sometimes. All right. Verse 11, it says, stand against the devil's schemes. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're, our, our, our fight is not against people. It's never against people. Okay? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, right? And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, that sounds like a movie. You know what I mean? Like the spiritual forces of darkness and the evil world. But that the truth is, we are spirits. Who we are, more so than this physical tent, is we are a spirit. That's who's going to live forever. It's our spirit. It's not this physical body. This will die, but our spirit will live on forever. So really, the spiritual realm is more real than the physical. Because that's where God is. And he is reality. Right? And so, there's an enemy out there. And we, one of the biggest steps forward in winning the battle is being aware that we're in one. Right? We're in one. And knowing our enemy. Right, so we're in a battle. We need to know our enemy. And again, we don't fight against people. People are not the enemy. If we spend our time fighting against people, then he's winning. Then the devil's he's, he's pleased. Yeah, woohoo! Great, you keep fighting amongst yourselves. I don't even have to do anything, right? So it's not against people. It's against demonic powers. It's against this, the, 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 dark, the powers of the dark world, of this dark world, right? There is a current in the world in which we live, a fallen world. And we as believers have to stand firm against a current. It's like a river that is pushing us in the direction away from God. So we have to be intentional. We can't just go about life. We have to be intentional to stand firm on truth. Otherwise, we'll be swept up by that current. So what is the enemy's power? It's schemes. It's lies, right? Because Jesus said the devil's been a liar from the beginning and that he is the father of all lies. That's his weapon. His mighty weapon is deception and lies. He has no creative power. He can't create things. All he can do is pervert things. So good things that God has made, what the devil wants to do is pervert it and make it impure and immoral, right? And twist it for his advantage to, to be harmful, to bring destruction, to steal, to kill and to destroy. So that's what he does. He deceives. He lies. 
And that is his weapon. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So our battle is against false arguments, pretension or self-promotion and rebellious thoughts. Our, Our battle is against false arguments. That's the enemy. It's a battle of ideas. It's here. The battlefield is where? It's right in the, it's in the mind. Every sin starts here. Every, every bondage, every uh, depression, shame, all of these things, they start here in the mind. It's internal. That's where the enemy wages war is in the mind with ideas, with lies, false arguments, right? That's what we see in this world, false arguments, rebellious thoughts. It comes back to lies. Every sin is connected to a lie. Right? Um, when we reach out for something to bring us physical pleasure or some kind of immediate gratification, we do so because somewhere along the way we're believing a lie. We're believing that this thing is going to satisfy me. It's not true. So, but we believe a lie. And so any sin, it's, there's a connection to some sort of lie along the way that, we're, that we cling to or we reach out to. And we've all done it. But that's the battle. It's lies versus truth. That's where the battle is, is in our mind. Ephesians 4.14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There it is, schemes again. Deceit again. Ephesians 5.6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So, the weapon of the enemy is lies, it's deception, it's false arguments, pretension, rebellious thoughts. Okay? So, what are the big lies? So, let's look at that. What are the schemes of the enemy? His plans, his way of attack. And so, we see there's there's lots of them. (laughs) He, He has a plethora of lies, right? But what are the big ones that we see him using, like the big guns of the enemy? And we see them all in Ephesians. And so we're going to look back and and, and take a look at these. Scheme number one, we've talked about this. Scheme number one of the enemy is doubt and disbelief. Doubt and disbelief. You are who you once were. Remember, that's, that's the lie of the enemy. He wants you to believe that you are defined by your mistakes. You're defined by your past. So he wants you to doubt the adequacy of the salvation of Jesus. He wants, you to, he wants you to doubt that it was enough, that you really are redeemed, that you really are cleansed, and that you really are a new person, that you really are righteous. He wants you to doubt that. He wants you to not believe that, to be unstable in your belief. And disbelief, you see this, the false arguments in the world, right? He wants people to doubt that God exists. And he wants us to do the same thing. And so when we have a moment where our prayers are, not, are going unanswered or, or we, we struggle, he wants to bring in, God's not real. 
You see, this is just, you're just talking to an empty room. You doofus. You know, like that's what he wants us to hear. Like, what are you doing? This isn't doing anything. This is a religious thing. It's practice. It's dead. It's nothing. You're singing to an empty room. You're talking to an empty room. God's not real. This is all just in your mind. You, you grew up in church. You, this is what you've, you've heard from your, from your birth, and that's the only reason why you accepted it. And so he wants us to be moved and to be unstable with these false arguments. Because what does it say in James? It says, a man who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He is, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How does the enemy knock us off our spot? When we're unstable, right? That's when he gets us to believe something that's not true and knocks us off the truth of being dearly loved children, chosen by God. So he wants us to be unstable. He wants us to go back and forth, right? So that's one of the schemes. Scheme number two is shame. Shame, this is another big gun. You are a disappointment to God. That's the lie. You are a disappointment. You're a disappointment to God. He is, he is not pleased with you, man. Man, you have let him down. He just can't believe you. And God's, God's given up on you because you have just gone too far. You've dropped way, way out of the running for being a godly person. You're, it's done, right? And so he wants to shame us to take on the identity of being a disappointment. But that's who we are. You see, shame isn't feeling bad for doing something wrong. That's remorse, okay? That's okay. That's good. In fact, the Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so remorse is okay. It's, it's okay to feel bad that you did something wrong and it was harmful to you or to someone else. That's okay, right? Conviction, the Holy Spirit convicts. But shame is when we believe a lie that not that we did something wrong, but that we are wrong. There's something inherently wrong with us that we are a disappointment and we take it on as an identity and it is so subtle. The enemy is, he is good at lying. It's just a little thing. Man, God, man, he is disappointed in you, man. And then what happens with shame is when we feel it enough and we take it on enough, we give up. Because, well, I can't, I can't do it. I just keep on messing up anyways. I'm, I'm just a failure. That's what I am. I'm just... I'm a screw up. And so we accept that as our identity. Boom, that's what the enemy wants. Because the only way to guarantee a loss is to give up. Right? So he wants to pour on the shame. That's his scheme. So scheme one is doubting. Scheme two is shame. Scheme number three is gratification. We talked about this, this idea that sin will satisfy. That's another scheme of the enemy. Right? This clinging, reaching out for something of substance, and then it comes up empty. Finding ways to medicate ourselves with it, whether it be immediate gratification on our phones or on a television or on food or whatever it is. Finding some way to gratify ourselves because we need to medicate because the world is hard or because life is difficult or whatever it is. And that, that lie that sin will satisfy, that that's what you need in this moment. Is to be selfish. That what you need is to hold on to bitterness and offense because this person deserves it. That what you need, it's a lie. And that's the scheme of the enemy is he wants us to believe that those things will satisfy. And the problem is, is that when we're medicated, 
right? If you're, med- if you're highly medicated on strong medication, then your vision's blurry, then you're kind of not all there. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us. He wants us sleepwalking. Because then we can't be intentional. And we can't resist his lies and his schemes. And we just keep on giving in. And that's how we go down the rabbit hole. So gratification. And then scheme number four. I know this is all, de- this is all depressing, isn't it? <laughs> this is all so depressing. But this is what the enemy does. Okay, we're going to get to the good side. Trust me. Just stick with me, all right? Scheme number four. <laughs> so sad. Division. That people are our enemy. That's another scheme. Why does, why does the devil care about that? Why does he want us fighting amongst ourselves? Because what did Jesus say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Stand firm. We can't stand firm against the enemy if we're divided against ourselves. How are we supposed to reach the world if we're divided against ourselves? How are we supposed to push back the current of this world if we're divided against ourselves? We have to be united under Jesus. So those are the four schemes, doubt, shame, gratification, division. So we know how the enemy comes at us. So what do we do? We put on the armor of God, right? Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, a lot of standing there, stand firm then. With a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're walking through the armor of God. We have truth, righteousness, Peace, the gospel of peace, salvation, faith, and the word of God, or truth. Isn't it interesting that the armor of God begins and ends with truth? Because that's what the armor is. It is truth. What better way to defend against the lies and the schemes of the enemy than the truth of God? That is the battle. Truth is our defense. Um, this this morning, I had a really interesting experience. It was, it was good, but yesterday was actually a really tough day for me. Like, I had, a, I had a good day. It was good. Like, nothing bad happened, but I was just struggling. Like, I was just struggling emotionally, spiritually. I, I just wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't feeling it. Maybe the devil knew I was going to talk about spiritual warfare or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it was just hard. And I was kind of just asking God some questions, like, God, what? What, what do you want me to be intentional about, like in my life right now? What, what am I supposed to be focusing my attention on? Is it like connect, connecting with you? Is it, is it discipleship? Should I be trying to reach my neighbors right now? Like where, where are you pointing me? Like what is the direction, the purpose? And I was just feeling a little disillusioned, like just kind of like kind of feeling like groping in the dark a little bit. And, and I was just like, man, God, I, I just feel a little confused right now in this moment. And so it was a good day. Everything was fine. I told Katie about it. We, we prayed and everything. And I was fine going to bed. I was like, I don't know. I just probably need to sleep. <laughs> I'm just tired. I get up the next morning, this morning. I'm talking to God about it. I'm just being honest with him. I'm like, God, I just don't feel great 
driving into church and the sun is rising. And it's just, it's really, it's really pretty. It's like at the very beginning where it's orange. It's really thick orange, it's rich color. And then the whole skyline is just silhouettes of trees. And you see all the colors changing, you know what I mean? From the dark blue to the light blue to the yellow to the orange. And, it's, and it's, there's no clouds in the sky. It's just gorgeous. And I heard the Lord say to me, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. I want, you to, I want you to have life in your relationship with me. I want you to have life, the fullness of life in your family, the fullness of life in your mission, the fullness of life in reaching people, the fullness of life in community. But it was just in this moment, he made this picture and it was just like, other than, it's just beautiful. It's like he painted this painting and it was a confirmation that I see you and I've come for you to have life. And that truth, it sounds so simple. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? What do you mean? What, what did God say? I just knew that this is it. It's about the life of God. And it's everywhere in my life. It's not one direction or another. His life is everywhere if I'm willing to receive that. But he's already given it to me. And so in that moment, there was a truth that God spoke. And it was like it felt like the arms of the Father just wrapping around me. And I just was like, I knew I was safe. I was good. And I was full of the life of God in that moment. And I think that paints that picture of truth. That God wants to defend us. He wants us to be safe and protected by his truth. And just one word from the Lord can wrap us up and keep us from all the onslaught of the enemy. So in order to stand our ground, we need to be equipped with truth. But before we put on the armor of God, we have to gird ourselves. The Bible says that we have to gird ourselves with the belt of truth. That's the first thing that he says. Now that belt that it's talking about is actually like a harness. It's like something that you wear where your armor hangs on this thing. Okay, and so you put on this harness first before you can put on the armor. And truth there, the word for truth is actually sincerity or authenticity, or honesty, integrity, being honest with yourself, that it starts there. And so before we receive the truth of God, before we can accept that and put that truth of God on, our first step to putting on the armor of God is being honest with ourselves and the Lord. And it's that, it's that coming to the Lord, like, like that song said, being broken at his feet. The brokenness of just being honest about where we're at. Telling God like David did. Man, I'm just, this is what I'm feeling. These, and, and when we proclaim and we, we let God know these are the struggles, these are the lies, these are the things that I'm feeling, then what does God do? He equips us with truth to combat the lies. And you see that in David when he prayed. He would say, God, I'm feeling crushed. God, it seems like you're against me. God, the whole world is against me, all this stuff. And he's just pouring out his heart to God. And then he will say, but, right? But I know that you're faithful. But I know that I can trust you. And that's what God does. When we're honest with ourselves and we come to him vulnerably and honestly before him, then he will equip us with the truth to combat the lies that we may be feeling or that the enemy is feeding us. 
But we have to be honest with ourselves first. So first, we put on that belt of sincerity and truth. And then we can put on the armor of God. So the armor of truth. So there's three different pieces of armor that we see here. There's the helmet of salvation. There's the breastplate of righteousness. And then there's the preparation of the gospel of peace, or kind of like the shoes, right, for our feet. Uh, And then the shield and the sword are kind of separate pieces. They're more like tools or weapons. All right, so truth number one. God equips us with truth so we can defend against the onslaught of the enemy's schemes and lies. Truth number one is assurance. Assurance. The helmet of salvation to guard our minds, right? From what? The scheme of the enemy. Doubt and disbelief. So God gives us assurance that we belong to him. That we are his. And he equips us with the truth. So when the enemy comes and to lie to us and tries to convince us that we're someone that we're not, we're equipped with the truth of God to put on as a helmet of salvation to guard against those lies of the enemy. And let's look at these truths, okay? So I'm going to say a lot of scripture today, okay? You guys like the word of God? Is that cool? Okay, good, great. Okay, so I'm going to say a lot of scriptures today because what are we doing? We are equipping ourselves with truth, okay? So, assurance, Ephesians, these are all in Ephesians. That's what's great. The book of Ephesians is awesome. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. When you believed, you were marked with a seal. You belong to him. As soon as you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. As soon as we put our faith in Christ, God seals us with the Holy Spirit as our promise that we will inherit the fullness of God's kingdom in the age to come because we are his possession. Wow, my, my mic is really getting loud out there. Sorry, I'm being loud. I'm being loud. Okay, calm down. All right, we are his possession. So we have assurance. So this is a weapon that we can wear. This is a, a defense against the lies of the enemy. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were once far away, but now you are near. So a lot of times we'll feel alone and the enemy wants to come with us, come at us with that. God's not here. He's not with you. You're alone. No, no I'm near. The blood of Jesus, not me. I didn't bring myself near. Jesus did. He brought me near. He's close. He's here. He's present with me. And so we can use that against the lie of the enemy. Ephesians 4, 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Who we are, the new self. Right there, says it in scripture, the old self is something that we can just take off. We just put it off. It's not us. Just take it off. We put on the new self, created in in true righteousness and holiness, looking like Jesus. So when the enemy comes and he lies and he plants seeds of doubt 
and disbelief in our minds, we can fight with the word and put on the helmet of salvation, the truth of assurance in Christ. Truth number two, the breastplate, righteousness in Christ, right? So the the helmet guards the mind, the breastplate guards the heart, right? How does the enemy come at our hearts? With shame, right? That's the scheme that comes after our hearts, that we are a disappointment. So how does God equip us with truth against that? When the enemy enemy tries to shame us, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, for he chose us, God chose us, first of all, he picked us out. So we're not a disappointment. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. According to his good pleasure, it pleased him to bring us near and to adopt us into his family. It's out of love he predestined us to be part of his family. We are dearly loved children, blameless before him because of what Christ has done, and we are not a disappointment. Amen? So that's the truth of God. When the enemy comes to lie to us and we bring up that truth. I know the word. You can't lie to me. You can't lie to me, devil. It was fun. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. So when the enemy tries to come and say, well, look at what you did, look at what you did, look at what you did. Christ died for us to make us alive to him when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, his best work, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And then Ephesians 3.17-19, through 19, he prays that we might have the power to know how deep, how wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Jesus. To know the love that passes all knowledge. That doesn't sound like a disappointment. So that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Truth of righteousness in Christ. And then truth number three. So we've combat against doubt and disbelief, against shame. Truth number three is the gospel of peace. Shoes, internal internal and external peace. Now, the picture that is being painted here, it says the readiness or the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's talking about the necessary equipment. That's what it means, being ready for battle, the readiness, the necessary equipment we need. And the Roman soldiers had something very unique in their armor, uh, and they had cleats. They literally had spikes on their feet so that, because, I mean, you lose your footing in a battle, you're, you're toast, right? So they had cleats. And so he's saying, all right, put on the necessary equipment so you can stand firm. And that's the gospel of peace. That's the peace that comes from the gospel. And it is both internal and external peace, right? So first, the truth that comes against gratification, the idea that sin will satisfy, is the fact that God is enough. He's enough. He has everything that we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need any additional things. We don't have to add something in. He literally has all that we need, and it's found in Ephesians 
Again, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Everything we need. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. James chapter 1. Everything good and perfect comes from him. So if it doesn't come from him, then it's not good and perfect. And if it's not good and perfect, we don't need it. Everything we need. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So we don't have to reach and grasp for anything in this world. We don't have to do that. We're not slaves of sin anymore. We don't have to. We're free. We're under the dominion of grace. And then external peace. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God has made a way for us to love our enemies. So there is no reason for us to have division. There is no reason. Because Christ's command was literally, love the people who overtly persecute you and curse you. So it's like, what, what worse thing is there, right? He said, love them. Not just your neighbors, not just your friends. Love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Who say all kinds of evil against you. Love them. And Jesus made a way. And so bitterness and unforgiveness is never a necessary means for anything. It doesn't do anything for us. But that's a scheme of the enemy because if he can divide us, then he can take us down. Amen? So that's truth number three. Okay, so we have the three truths. We have assurance. We have our righteousness in Christ. We have the gospel of peace, internal and external. And so we're able to defend against scheme one, two, three, four, against doubt, shame, gratification and division. The last two pieces, last two pieces, the shield of faith, shield of faith, ownership for the, of these truths rather than just acknowledgement. Ownership rather than acknowledgement. We can acknowledge truth all day. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, it's true. But there's a difference between acknowledging something to be true and owning it as true for us. Because it's personal. Especially when it comes to shame. Because that is a very personal attack of the heart. And so it's harder to own the fact that God isn't disappointed with us. That we're his dearly loved children, especially when the shame is coming on thick. But belief, faith, is what quenches the darts. It's ownership saying, this is true for me. Assurance is mine because of Christ. For me, it's true. Not just true for the body of Christ, it's true for me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of his death and resurrection. I am righteous. It's true for me. That's true for me. God is, I'm his dearly loved child. That's true for me. I have everything I need in Jesus. God is enough for me. I can love my enemies. I can forgive. It's owning it. 
And what's amazing about faith, and it's trusting God. It's saying, I I trust him no matter what I see, what I'm feeling in the moment. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to cling to his truth. I'm going to trust him. I know he's trustworthy. The cross is a picture of that. So I'm going to trust God no matter how I feel, no matter what's happening. I'm going to cling to trust. Hold up that shield of faith. And what's amazing about faith in in Jesus, because we are saved by grace, because his grace is sufficient for us, because his strength is made perfect in our weakness, because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, because all of this is true and we're under the dominion of grace, then the faith that it takes, Jesus said, you can move a mountain and and cast it into the sea. How much faith do you need? Mustard seed. A mustard seed, that's what he said. All it takes is a mustard seed of faith to say to this mountain, be moved. Just trust that I trust you. Sometimes the greatest prayer that we can pray is, Lord, help me. Because we're coming to the end of ourselves and that's where he begins. And we're putting our faith in him. And we're being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Just a mustard seed. And then God is there, holding on, trusting him, holding on to that word. Shield of faith. And then lastly, the sword of the spirit. This is fun. Because the sword is offensive, right? It's an offensive weapon. You can take down demons, right? The sword of the spirit. The way we put to death the lies of the enemy in the world around us is speaking the word of God. Proclaiming and declaring truth in his word is how we cut down the deceptive lies and schemes of the enemy around us in and in our world. We speak out and proclaim truth over our city. We speak and proclaim truth over our friends, over our lost neighbors. We speak and proclaim truth over each other. And we cut down the power of the enemy. When we speak truth, that does it. It's a nail in the coffin. And that's the weapon that we wield, is the power of God's word, the power of his truth. Now, where does that happen? Where do we wield it? Well, we wield it in prayer. That's where we wield the sword. And look at this, verse 18. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I love that. Pray in the spirit on all occasions, all the time. Why? Because if our attention is always on Jesus, if we're being attentive to God on every occasion, then we're inviting God in to every area of our life. And he can be Lord there. He can be Lord in our work, at our home. He can be Lord in the darkest places of our heart. He can be Lord in our relationships, in our marriage. He can be Lord in our family. He can be Lord with our neighbors. He can be Lord everywhere because we're giving him our attention and our awareness. We're inviting God in on every occasion into our life and what we behold we become. So if we're constantly looking at Jesus, constantly praying on every occasion and inviting God in, then we become more and more and more like him. With all kinds of prayer and requests, with this in mind, be alert. Remember, intentional. We don't want to go around sleepwalking. We're in a battle and we know our enemy. 
So we're intentional to stand on truth. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then Paul starts saying, pray for me too. (laughs) Pray that I might have boldness and fearlessness. But he says, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And this is how we see transformation happen within our city, our schools, our neighborhoods. This is how we see the, the God's redemptive work established in our city. We pray on every occasion in the spirit with all requests. We're, we stay alert. We're mindful of what's, what's going on in our, in our world. We stand firm on truth. And then we always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And that's the thing. I love this. All the Lord's people. We pray for the church down the street. We pray for the other churches in our city. And I've loved that. Ever since I came here, I heard, I'm Kevin, I know that you were, you were always a you know, proponent for that, just praying for other, because it's all the body of Christ. So we pray for all of God's people. And then all the schemes, all the false arguments, the pretentious thoughts, the rebellious thoughts of the enemy come to nothing. And then the fruit of righteousness starts growing in our city, starts growing in our lives, starts growing in the lives of people who don't even know Jesus. They start seeing evidence. They start to taste and see that the Lord is good because we're becoming the salt and light of the world because we're being consistent and we're praying and we're seeking God and we're not settling, not settling for less than heaven on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, amen? So I want to close with this. Don't give up. Whatever it is that we all have a struggle, like I said, it was yesterday for me. Literally yesterday. This morning, I had a breakthrough on my way to church, on my way to talk about spiritual warfare. (laughs) The enemy wants to come at us and he's not going to stop. He is persistent. Every lie in the playbook. So don't give up. If you're struggling with the sin, if you're struggling with your identity, you're struggling with a sense of purpose or significance, you're struggling with being valued or seen, or you're struggling with feeling loved, or whatever the struggle is, you're struggling with just being tired or just overworking or whatever it is, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't give in. I just, I'm here to encourage you. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And you'll receive and you'll find and the door will open. Because Jesus has promised as much. Be that persistent widow. Keep on. Do not grow weary in doing good for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. Don't stop. That's the only way to guarantee a loss is to quit. Don't quit. Surround yourself with truth. Find, uh, get into a clean air environment. 
If you work in a place where it's just depressing and there's just a lot of lying and thieving and just not Jesus, it's a dark place, then try to turn on some K-love, positive and encouraging. You know, just something. Finding, finding truth, getting yourself in a clean air environment. Because the, the lies are just constant. And so get into the word of God. If you, if you can't, if you're like, man, I don't know, I just I haven't been good with Bible reading plans. Don't worry about the Bible reading plan. Just, if you have to, start with the verse of the day. Start there. And just think about that one verse over and over and over again. Or, or listen to the word. You know, that you have that option now with like the Bible app, right? Listen to it. Just get that, let that clean air environment just wash over you. And let God wash over you with truth because what it's going to do is it's just going to lift you up because the Bible says what? You shall know the truth and the truth will. Amen? Man, the truth of God sets us free. And we can stand on our position in Christ and claim all of this that we've gone through in the book of Ephesians. Man, isn't the word of God good? So good. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to close in worship. And I just want you to bring to God whatever it is. Remember, it all starts with what? Honesty. Putting on the harness. Sincerity before God. Just coming to him, being broken. Coming, to, coming before God with whatever it is. Being honest with him. And then... God will. He'll find a way. He'll remind you of all the things that he's spoken. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Leads us into all truth. Right? He's going to remind you of what Jesus has said to you. And so bring those to God and let God remind you. So as we worship, I want us to do that. And in our prayer team, if you guys could come up. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, listen, just someone to stand with you. To stand firm with you. Because I need that. I need prayer. And it was great because I heard what was it, Tom, or Tom and Brenda were saying that they were praying for me this week because they're like, hey, I know you're talking about spiritual warfare, so we're praying for you. And that was awesome. And I felt that particularly this morning. I need that. I need the prayers of the saints. We all do. So whatever it is, if you just want to pray, someone to pray with you, want to pray with you, if you could just stand. Then we're going to respond to God with worship. Lord Jesus, Lord, we open our hearts to you right now, God. Whatever it is, Lord, that's on our heart, whatever lie might be bouncing around, whether it be shame or doubt or, or value or, or gratification or anything, whatever it is, God, Lord, just we come to you right now. And just like the song says, God, we lay it at your feet. Father, we just ask, God, that you give us your truth. Can we trade it? Lord, I ask, God, that you give us grace to trade the struggle, trade the lie, trade the doubt for your truth, Father. We want to receive that today. Let's worship. Lady.
purchasing it all for us, Jesus. For your death on the cross, God, your resurrection, that you've defeated the enemy and you've given us everything that we need to live in true righteousness and holiness, to be light in the Lord. And we thank you, God, for the freedom that comes through your truth, where we receive your truth freely this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Man, well, that was a fun series. You guys enjoy the series, Ephesians, walking through. Um, so next week, we will be kicking off a new series. We're going to be talking through Passion Tide, so like the last moments of Jesus' life leading up to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. So I'm excited about that, diving into that and that story. Uh, also, next week, don't forget, launch team meeting. We'd love to have you there, 5 p.m. It's going to be awesome. And bring your um, your candy and your eggs, anything, if you've signed up to bring resources for those gift bags. Um, we're still doing that, so please bring those next Sunday. So bring those next Sunday because we're going to use all of that to put the bags together that night. Love you guys. Bless you. Have a wonderful week.